interestingly, for you to communicate that so harshly and concretely in a way that could trigger someone's ego to be like, who do you think you are giving me a deadline for when you... Yeah. But she was receptive to it. Yeah, but because we were at our wit's end. You know when there's a weird stank in the air. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, <laughs> damn, something don't feel right. You know? Like, there's a cloud looming over us. I can't do that. I can't wake up every morning, look at you, and not feel something and share the same bed with you. Because at this point, we just might as well live separately. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, you know what? If you left tomorrow, I think I'd be happy. Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends. I'm going to take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I said, lovers and friends. I'm gonna hold you down, down to the end, I said. Hi there, lovers and friends. Welcome to Lovers and Friends, the podcast in a beautiful, exquisite location. Now, for those of you who are watching, you're like, but where? You are in a small, dark room sitting in the doorway. Well, behind the camera is a bright, vibrant, incredible, enriching city called Cartagena in Colombia, where I have been for the past two weeks, and I have two weeks more here. I'm here with my family, I am here for a job, and I am here for it all. This genuinely feels like a dream come true experience because not only am I on a project talking about sex, love, and relationships, my fave, um, and my passion has brought me to a brand new place to experience a new culture that I'm truly feeling enriched by, but I get to do so with my entire family who has come here on this experience with me and it's been abundantly joyful. And I want to tell you more about the ahas I've had, especially for those of you who are OG lovers and friends, podcast listeners, you know what a year it's been. And so there's a lot to be shared about this trip that um, I want to get real with you about. But before we really go there, let's talk to the people who have no idea who I am or what I'm talking about. This is Lovers and Friends, a podcast about sex, love, and relationships. My name is Sham Boudram. I'm a sexologist and intimacy expert who is obsessed with learning and diving into all things intimacy. This podcast is topic-based, meaning each episode is not about the guest, for example. This guest is David So as our star, but instead about a particular story or experience that the guest really wants to share in hopes that you, the listener, can gain something from it. You can bring back to enrich your own relationships, be them long-term, short-term, uh, or future. And this was an interesting episode for me because David and I are friends from JK News and David is a professional talker. So we really just riffed for a long time, which is unique because usually we predetermine a topic, but we knew we'd have good banter. So we just riffed and saw where it went. And the place that it went, I thought, was very fascinating, although can potentially be very triggering for a lot of people. In particular, this moment in his marriage that he shared. I gave her an ultimatum. I was like, if you want me to try again, then the one thing I need you to do is find a therapist in February. Um, by the end of February, if you don't have a therapist or you haven't tried, by March 1st, there's going to be movers moving my stuff out. Now, I believe that this can either be triggering or triumphant, depending on what side of the story that you've been on. Because if we're honest, we have all been here before in a romantic relationship where we get to a stalemate, where one person is like, change or lose me, and the other person is now called to respond to this ultimatum. I say triumphant or triggering, because if you've been the person who wanted to call the person out, maybe you wish you did what David did or if you've been the person who has been called out, this can be a very painful experience. Now, getting to a space where you feel like you're not enough for the love 
that you thought was a safe, open, and soft place for you to land. And in full disclosure, I am filming this intro for the 50,000th time. This is the first time today, but yesterday I tried for hours to really pull together a leading concept to move us into this dialogue, and I just couldn't do it. In reflection, it's because the way I was trying to do it just wasn't right, and I inherently knew that. So I had these tips, these three phases to get your partner to change when you need them to checklist that I was sharing. And I kept stuttering and st stammering over different points, even just PTSD, thinking about it's making me stutter and stammer. So I kept getting stuck on different points and I ended up throwing in the towel saying I can't do it. And that is why I, this episode is coming out two days late. And last night, I was talking to my husband, Jared, about it and just kind of reflecting on, I don't know why this topic isn't really hitting for me. And through the dialogue that we had, I realized it wasn't the topic, but the angle in which I was approaching it, which was a good lesson for me, because I think it's the angle a lot of us tend to approach the topic of trying to change our partner. And that really made me reflect on this incredible soundbite that I return to often but I'm very grateful to have been called to return to it again by Will Smith. I think that the real paradigm for love is gardener flower. So the relationship that a gardener has with a flower is the, the gardener wants the flower to be what the flower is designed to be, not what the gardener wants the flower to be. You want the flower to bloom and to blossom and to become what it wants to be. You want it to become what God designed it to be. You're not demanding that it become what you need it to be for your ego. Anything other than all of your gifts wide open, giving and nourishing this flower into their greatness is not love. What I love about Will Smith's analogy is that it's so visual. We can all immediately get it. We know what it looks like to try to make a mustard seed into a rose when it just never can potentially be that. But also, if you take it a step further and think about what comes to mind when you picture the relationship between a gardener and a seed. What's setting, you know, what is, what's the temperature like? What are the expressions like of both the seed and the gardener while they're engaged in this process? And you probably think of it like the milk box, right? Whenever we're called to imagine a farm, we think of beautiful green open spaces with clear blue skies and a friendly farmer and an even happier cow. But what actually happens behind the scenes is because we are trying to force the cow and we're trying to force so much production, it's GMOs, it's machinery, and it's a very unhealthy, hostile environment. A lot of us make the mistake of trying to force our partner into being something that they never can be, or we are trying to force change at an unreasonable pace, at a production level that is just not natural. And that is why what should be a very beautiful process of either letting go and accepting that you never can be what I ultimately desire, or leaning in and nourishing that person to become what they've always meant to be can get very twisted. And so as you're listening to this episode, I really want you to call upon those visuals in your own life and think about them literally. What kind of gardener have you been? How have people treated you as a seed? And I think the story that David shares is a perfect example of tough love, but a story that really is a love story. 
we're going to talk about codependency. Define codependency. Essentially, it is codependency is a negative term usually used to describe a relationship in which one person needs to be needed. And so they foster dependency from their partner. So oh, it's, it's, usually, it's usually negative. It's usually negative. But in all honesty, all relationships are some level of codependent. I need you. You yeah. need me. But there's varying degrees of that. And so I drew a diagram right here. This is a Venn diagram, if you're familiar. But essentially, this is a representation of a basic relationship, right? Mm. So a healthy one, let's say. So there's David, and then, then here's your wife, Mario, and then I've got Daryl in the middle, which is the place that the two of you meet, whether that be shared friends, shared interests, shared time together, shared babies, puppies, whatever. So with that to be said, how would you draw your circles now uh it's this is a very interesting question right so now it's probably it's like that for us wow yeah so that's about 10 percent shared circle yes so this it was probably even a lot smaller before less than this it was less than that so you've graduated to 10. so when she and i first got together uh we lived very very separate lives right so she lived all the way on the west side i lived towards like pasadena so and let's be clear, we're not talking about of America. Yes, we're, <laughs> we're talking, talking about, about in the Los same city. Angeles. <laughs> okay. But you know, traffic-wise, it's an hour and a half drive. But within that week, <laughs> within rush hour, yeah. only. Yes. Any other time, it's forty. Other than that, I told her get the fuck out of my face. No, but we we would see each other maybe at most once a week, and that was like it was like that for about four years. And I think that's why we worked so well, right? Because she always had her separate life. I had my separate life. She had her friends. I had my friends. And our friends are vastly different. They're two separate worlds. I grew up in Sacramento, California, the south side of Sacramento. She grew up in uh, Los Angeles in a very Asian predominant area. Everybody's, that she grew up with academics. They all went to, I don't know, like private schools or they, um, they went to very uh, universities, right? My friends were half and half. And so I didn't really want to mingle our friends together because it would just be a weird thing, right? And I never really did that in the first place. I always liked having, being with somebody who had their own life and my own life because it always made it more fun when we got together. One of the biggest things that I had before I decided to get into a, a serious relationship again was that she would not work in the same industry as me. Because number one, I think as artists, we're a lot more sensitive. And so, for example, like if I do a video, I don't ever show her my videos because if she does something and she goes, it wasn't that funny. I'm like, cool, well, let's take it outside then. huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now it's like, OK, I made sure that she had a separate because number one, it just made things more exciting. I got to learn more about her and we didn't have to share all of our goals together. Right. We have shared goals, but then she has her own separate stuff. And so when we would meet together, we just had so much more to talk about. And I think for my first relationship, what do, do for a living, uh, she works in animation. So on the production side, right? So currently now she look, works more in tech in terms with things with animation, but that's just what she does. And her personal journey to get to that was pretty insane too. Um, so for me- And you're a comedian, podcaster. Mm -hmm, actor, do all this other stuff. And I think for filmmaker. her- Filmmaker, you know, whatever. So for my very first relationship, I was the hyper-codependent person, right? To the point where I only valued myself as a person if that person found me valuable. Right. It was the worst thing that I did. And I didn't realize that I was doing this until after we broke up. So, for example, if she thought I was a good person, I was a good person. If she thought I was a bad person, I was a bad person. So the moment that she and I broke up and I was 18 years old, I was very young. My because my value was tethered to this person when she was gone, I 
therefore lost value. I didn't have, I didn't value myself. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know who I was. And I just had this moment in my life where I realized like, oh, you're a little too dependent on other people to find value in yourself. Mm. And so from that point on. Did you need her to need you in order to feel valued? A hundred percent. What specific ways did you want her to need you? I just wanted to be next to her at all times. And I didn't even want even other people to be a part of her life the way that I was, right? And it was just this very bad value. She was also my best friend. So it's like everything everything that I drew, if anything positive was from her, right? And then from that point on, I was like, oh, maybe I need to kind of go ahead and just work on myself and learn how to be dependent on, on my own shit. So at that point, I kind of started to realize, okay, and this kind of goes into this other thing where I kind of went too, I went too far left and then went too far right, right? Because I had a previous relationship before Mariel that I was so dependent that I didn't let this person feel valued in the relationship because she felt that if whether she came and went, it didn't matter, right? So yes. because I was so damaged here, I went too far here. So it's like the Goldilocks story. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So I couldn't find that my right porridge. Yes. You know what I mean? Until Mariel entered my life and then she was the one that kind of like fixed these bad habits of mine. It's like, you know, it's okay for you to tell me I love you more than just, I don't know, once a month, right? And then I had to sit down and think like, okay, why the fuck am I doing that? It's like, I do love her. I appreciate her. She's, she's the one for me. She's the woman that I want to marry and I'm going to marry and I am married too. So why do I do this? And then you had to go back and like, oh, it's probably because of that time where, you know, when you were younger, where you kind of like gushed out love and affection because you're trying to hold this person close to you, that you're afraid that if you do that, this person might leave and you're left with nothing. It's fascinating about that because are you familiar with attachment styles? No. Um, so attachment styles is, it's a theory that people have these basic ways that are created from childhood and how they form relationships with people. So there's anxiously attached people in which that usually comes from like helicopter parents. <gasps> oh, I do remember this. I, where a couple, our couple counselor told us about this. Yes. Yeah. And so there's anxious, then there's secure, and then there's avoidant. And so according to this Venn diagram, in some cases, you and Muriel are a little avoidant um, because your circles are further apart. But in that mutuality of avoidance, you find balance with each other. Mm -hmm. Because if you are one anxious person, one avoidant person, that's when you have huge conflict. Because you needing your own separate life, you wanting your own separate space, becomes a trigger for me as an anxious person. Now I feel abandoned by you. So mm -hmm. that's why it's interesting. Because it sounds like you almost like edited your own attachment style as you went along. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's, she's the anxious type. So you see how that doesn't help. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so for her... And obviously she had to go through her own therapy and stuff like that, where she kind of find out, found, had to find the stuff about herself too. And then she had to go into the whole thing of why she's like that. And it stems from her family and her relationship with her mom. And so as, as we've continued to grow together, we've been getting better and better and better. We actually almost, before we moved in together in our last place, uh, I was done with her. I was going to split with her. So we were, we were engaged, but we weren't married. And there was a point in our relationship where it got really bad. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, you know what? If you left tomorrow, I think I'd be happier. And so it was like one of these moments where we had to look at each other and say, hey, uh, at this very moment, I'm not good for you. You're not good for me. That's a really great way to gauge the health of a relationship. I've never heard it put so like clearly before. Mm. You get to this place where you're like, yeah, if I didn't have to hang with you tomorrow, I think I'd have a better day. Yeah. And it was weird because we I literally said that while we were laying in bed. 
Mm. And then I looked over at her and, then, you know, you could, when you're with somebody, whether it's friends or relationship, you know when there's a weird stank in the air. You know what yeah. I mean? It's <laughs> like, damn, something don't feel right. You know, like there's a cloud looming over us. And so I just said it. And I was like, I, I have to say this because now I'm living in dishonesty. I can't do that. I can't wake up every morning, look at you and not feel something and share the same bed with you. Because at this point, we just might as well live separately. And so when we said that, she said, I, I feel the same. Was that during the pandemic? It was during the pandemic. And so, I mean, that's a whole other separate conversation too, especially when it comes to relationships. Because remember, we only saw each other intermittently, especially because she had a job that worked outside. And now I saw her every day. So now our what we liked and hated about each other was accelerated because we're in this small, tight space and I'm just looking at her stupid face every day. <laughs> you know? And she's looking at yours. My stupid face, face like every day. She was like, you know, it's very funny how you, every time you open up a fucking cabinet, you just leave it open. I'm like, do I? And I'm like, yes, I do. But because you talk to me like that, I'm leaving it open on purpose. And we would just start doing shit to piss each other off. And after a while, we started seeing everything that we hated about each other. And we had to figure out, is this something that we can solve or is this something that is going to bother us for the rest of our lives? There are certain parts of my life that are pillars. They're part of my foundation that will never, ever move. This stuff cannot be fucked with at all. Everything else is an issue, it's a problem, it's annoyance. We can work around it or whatever. One of them is uh, is religion. The other one is family. And the other one is, um, uh, what's it called? The fucking, uh, the, not codependency, but the opposite, but being able to function on my own. Independence? Yeah, independence. So I need these type of things. The thing that, the, the pillar thing that messed up was the family part. Because she had a lot of issues on her own, with her own family, and not big stuff, but it's like personal trauma that she has to deal with, it was affecting our relationship. I'm somebody who believes in boundaries, right? And I was kind of harping on her. It's like, you got to set boundaries with your parents, specifically because when we have kids, they don't understand these boundaries. It bleeds over to me. And I think for me... Oh, I understand. Because I was thinking about that. Like, these are your pillars. Why does her relationship with her family infringe on your pillars? Because you're thinking ahead. Mm -hmm. And you see her as your family and you see her family as an extension of yours. Mm -hmm. For me, that was like, oh, this is something that... Um, it's going to be a problem and it's shaking my foundation. So that was a probable reason why you would have ended the relationship. Yeah. I am so sorry, everybody and David, but I got to pop in right now to tell you about the sponsor of this episode, ZocDoc. We talked about them before, but let's do it again because it's so nice. We got to do it twice. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient reviewed, take your insurance and are available when you need them and how you need them. Whether you wanna do an in-person visit or virtual is great for you. With ZocDoc, you see real verified patient reviews to help you find the right doctor in your network and your neighborhood. Now I've been using ZocDoc to find quality doctors in my area. And as I mentioned, I use ZocDoc to find a podiatrist because my feet have been acting crazy. And once I get back from Columbia, I got an appointment set just like that. So on ZocDoc, you could find a specialist for whatever you need. What I love about them is the mobile app. Again, it's that same smart, intuitive software that we already use when it comes to finding the best place to eat or deciding how we're gonna get somewhere fun for the night. ZocDoc does that for you and gives you convenience, power, and control all in one handy place. So all you gotta do is go to ZocDoc.com lovers. We talked about the tongue twister last time. We've clearly gotten better. Go to ZocDoc.com slash lovers and download ZocDoc app for free. Yes, 
Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many of the doctors are available within 24 hours. So that thing that you have been putting off, getting looked into, go right now, and tomorrow you can be in a whole different position. That is Zoc, Z-O, or Z if you're American, I always forget. The, you know, the Zorro letter. Z-Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash lovers. Again, that is ZocDoc.com slash lovers. So was it that Muriel's Venn diagram with her family was too overlapped wherein you felt like... Oh, very overlapped. Super, super overlapped, right? So it was to the point where I felt like not just her, just I was there too, but I addressed it way earlier. You know, I addressed it in my 20s. So it's like... I don't like the idea that somebody else can control my emotions at free will. So if like, let's say, and everybody has this with their parents, they meet up with their parents and they say something weird and it messes up your whole day. Well, that would transfer over to me and then I have to deal with those emotions. And I didn't like that. But, you know, since, you know, she she talked about it too, where she talked about how her relationship got better with her mother after therapy, right? And I think like that was already a hard thing too. So my my stipulation to her was, hey, um, by in February, I need you to try therapy, right? Because whatever I'm saying is not getting to you. And we're at a point where we're going to split. She goes, well, I want to do couples therapy first. I was like, no, you're not doing that. You need to try therapy first on your own because you need to trust the process. If you don't trust the process, therapy doesn't work. If you think that you know better than the person who's trying to advise you. So try it on your own, have your own experience with it, and then we'll go to couples counseling. And so I gave her an ultimatum. I was like, if you want me to try again, then the one thing I need you to do is find a therapist in February. Um, by the end of February, if you don't have a therapist or you haven't tried, by March 1st, there's going to be movers moving my stuff out. So that's just what it is. And so she tried it. She loved her therapist. She unlocked all this shit. Some people, <laughs> just by virtue of that suggestion, it's interesting too because you gave the open cupboards analogy mm. where something like that would trigger you to be like, I'll keep all these fucking cupboards open. Yeah. <laughs> and so interestingly, for you to communicate that so harshly, and concretely in a way that could trigger someone's ego to be like, who do you think you are giving me a deadline for when you, Yeah, but she was receptive to it. Yeah. But because we were at our wit's end and she wanted to try, I did it. So I was like, okay, cool. So I'm out. I'm already checked out by the way. So if you're trying to mend this stuff, then yeah, I have one stipulation for me to, cause it was, our relationship was so bad at this point. Like we have already been checked out for months. So at this point, it's like, cool, there's an ultimatum now because you don't believe in something that I truly believe in, which is therapy, right? Because I've, I've been going through counseling and therapy since I was a little kid because I had anger, anger issues. So I had to go through anger management since I was like eight years old. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I never had this thing, oh, therapy's weird. Like I had it my whole life. Yes. <laughs> you know? I just didn't know it was therapy, <laughs> you know? And that was the therapy was the reason why I got to mend my relationship with my dad. So I, I like therapy. I think it's dope. So I never had this weird, you know, feeling about it because I was forced into it as a kid because I needed it, you know. But the leveling up that I had with Mariel was even more intense because now I started to realize that committed relationships are less about finding. I find out more about me than I do about her, <laughs> you know, specifically when it comes to bad habits that I thought were habits that were perfectly fine, but it's not. I told you I grew up in a very violent household. Well, my household, we would break shit. We would punch balls, smash things. We love each other. We would never hit each other, but we would act violently. And in my mind, because in my world, that thing's acceptable. It doesn't mean that it's generally accepted. 
we had this little eye cream that she had, this little Korean eye cream. She got me so mad. I took this cute little thing and I fucking slammed it on the floor and the eye cream splattered, right? In my mind, I'm like, that's just eye cream. She's fine. She got scared. She started tearing up. I'm like, fuck you scared for? I hit you. This yeah. In my mind, right? But she goes, you broke something in front of me. I'm like, I know. One and a half ounce eye cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, there's nothing wrong here. But seeing her scared of me and crying made me think, oh, shit, I did something violent in front of her, right? From that point on, I don't do that anymore. And that's something I learned about myself. This is not an acceptable behavior. I didn't know that. It was acceptable in my household. We would break shit all the time. And then after that, we would just have eat dinner. But for her, it's not okay. So, like, I just kept on finding all this new stuff. I'm like, oh, this is, this is probably not that good. And once again, for a Korean man, especially because we're so stubborn, it was very hard for me to say, like, Oh shit, I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And like verbally to her. Well, you, I mean, you talked about going back to therapy. What point did you start re-engaging? I think more frequently was probably when I was probably like four years ago. Right. And it was all because of our personal relationship. And, uh, the, the thing that I had to, my therapist that kind of helped me through this whole situation, and, you know, especially for me to just confront her about certain things was like. So you went back to therapy because your relationship with Muriel? Because I kept, I thought that everything that was going wrong in our relationship was my fault. Because <laughs> I'm the one with violent issues. I'm yeah. the one with all this other stuff, you know. And so at a certain point, my therapist is like, you know, you beat yourself up a lot. You know, it's like, what about her? What, what can she do better? I'm like, shit, I don't know. Mm. Is it? Is it a hurt thing or is it a me thing? And then after a while, I got, I got to this point, I remember I told her, I was like, hey, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong. It's you. Mm -hmm. right? And it felt good to say that because she didn't know throughout that whole time I was going through therapy trying to figure out how can I do better? How can I do better? How can I do better? Because I'm so used to messing up. And then I got to the point, I'm like, no, nah, I'm pretty fucking good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because you've been putting the work in. Yeah, I was like, now it's Was it turn. frustrating putting in the work and having a partner who was not like equally inspired to engage in the work? Yeah. And, you know, she was trying to engage the work in her own way, right? But it wasn't working, you know? And clearly what I was doing wasn't working, you know, trying to beat myself up for stuff. And, you know, and I, I want to encapsulate it too. It's, she was always trying, right? Yeah. But sometimes we need to try things in a different perspective because <laughs> we're just doing stuff, the same thing over and over and it's not working. We think that it's going to work. It's not going to work. Sometimes you need that other outside perspective and that's where fucking therapy comes in. Well, that's like when you get a piece of furniture from Ikea that you want to build yourself and you're like, I'm not using the manual. Yeah. And then after four hours, you're like, where's the manual again? Yeah. You know, why are these drawers upside down? And then you're like, oh, <laughs> it is true. I mean, I've talked about that with closure. People are like, you know, well, I just sought closure within myself. I was like, <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like yeah. to fully understand a situation and how you can improve and what you did within it, that was a catalyst, if not the cause of the breakdown. You kind of need somebody else to be like, here's where you fucked up. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and one of my, like this year, not, I wouldn't say this year, but, but maybe since pandemic, one of the things I figured out about myself was that I fucking hate people who don't have any sense of personal responsibility. Mm. I hate it. I hate, I can't stand it, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't like people who sit around and they go, everybody's at fault but me, right? And I've, those people in the last two, three years have been completely cut out because I didn't realize that their negative behavior in that type of sense was dragging me down. Do you think the people who don't go to therapy have a little bit of that in them? For sure. And, you know, therapy can be done in many different ways, right? Um, 
but I do personally suggest like professional therapy because they just have tools. They know how to like put a little thing on it to help you encapsulate what you're feeling. Because that's kind of the basis of not going to therapy is like, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, so it's like, well, I think I'm good, so I don't need to go. Mm-hmm. Wherein there's something wrong with everybody. Oh, a hundred percent. You know what I mean? And when you when you're allowed to kind of really frame out this issue that you have and there's like I don't know terms for it or like solutions for it it really just makes you feel normal (laughs) how did it practically make you a better lover in your partnership um it helped me specifically okay (laughs) there's this thing about me where because of my household we don't say you hurt my feelings I couldn't say that for the life of me until like last year so when our couple's counseling she goes David, I want you to say to your to your fiance that she hurt your feelings. I was like, no, <laughs> you, you fucking nuts. Maybe <laughs> hurt my. Feelings. I can't say that shit. But the reason why is because I would. But I would say you're hurting my feelings in the most disastrous type of ways. You know, why are you doing that? Stop doing that shit. That's dumb. You know, not like that. But in, that's how it would be, right? Versus, I could just say when you do that, you hurt my feelings because that's how she understands it. I'm telling you, when I would say it, the, f- the first time I ever said it without our couple's counselor, it felt like somebody was ripping out my teeth. It is killing me. I was like, you hurt? <laughs> like, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm about to faint, you know, <laughs> you, my feelings. <laughs> and, but she would do stuff where she would, she goes, see, it's not that hard. I'm like, and you're, you're like, making you it harder. <laughs> you're the fucking I crave? I was like, you're making it worse. <laughs> she's the type of, she's so fucking, she makes me laugh. And that's why I love her the most because she genuinely makes me laugh super hard. She's the type of person, like, if I'm watching a movie, I cry in movies, right? But I don't need you to point out I'm crying. Let me cry. Like, we'll be in a theater, like, straight up. Bunch of people around, I'm watching, I'm bawling. And then she'll look at me, and she goes, are you crying? I'm like, bitch, if you don't shut the fuck up, what are you doing? You don't have to say it out. I know I'm crying. And she goes, it's okay. She's rubbing my back in this theater full of people. I'm like, listen, I don't have this thing of, like, certain, like, masculinity type of shit, but you embarrassing me. Yeah. <laughs> like, you need to cut this shit out. Let me just cry, all right? But that's what it feels like when I had to say you hurt my feelings because I was never either allowed to say it or I never even felt like it was necessary. I would just try to say, well, this is a problem you need to fix versus just saying, hey, you hurt my feelings. I don't like it when you do that. Mm. And then she would just never do it again. It was just such an easy solution. So being able to kind of communicate my feelings in a way that she understood, even though it make me would make me feel weird, would solve literally 90% of our issues. Mm-hmm. Cause there's always a communication breakdown. It's not cause she's a bad person. I'm a bad person. We're just speaking two different languages. Like how do I get to that medium point where we can understand what the hell we're talking about? Yeah. So was it safe to say that if it wasn't for therapy, you guys wouldn't have gotten married? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, that's why I put, I don't, I don't push it per se, but I have no problem talking about it. Right. Um, just because Y'all motherfuckers need some therapy, man. Like, just try it out. Let me tell you something. You know that, you know when you go to a bar and you kick it with your homies who are all like-minded and they just gas you up? That's not therapy. Complaining is therapeutic. Those are two different things. Very different things, <laughs> you know? And I'm trying to get people to understand. They go, I have therapy. I kicked it with my homies. Those dumb motherfuckers don't know shit. They don't know <laughs> shit, all right? They don't know anything because you only tell them a version of your story that you want them to like you. Yes. When you're with a therapist, you say everything, the good, the bad, the evil, whatever. And then you're, it's weird. Like you almost feel like, oh, I'm not being judged. I'm going to say some fucked up shit. 
right? And then you could say it. And then you feel better. And that's how you, you kind of laid it all out there and then you pick up the pieces. Or to your point, the experience you had with your dad, you were positioned a story to get empathy, to be like, he's this, he's that, <laughs> da, 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 da. And they were like, okay, well, cool. Well, what do you know about your dad? Yeah. So seeing, like session over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even knowing how to ask the questions, because yes, we're often incentivized to tell stories in a way that make us look the coolest and the baddest. But a good therapist is able to see through that and be like, what's the realist? Mm-hmm. And... It's hard. It's really, really hard to kind of sit there and talk about and also unpack things that you know you hate about yourself, but you've never told anybody. And you never even had a conversation with your parents or maybe even the person that you're with about this stuff because you don't want people to know about your weaknesses, right? Why would you show people your worst hand ever? But you can do that with a therapist. Mm. It feels good. Yeah. <laughs> it feels real good. <laughs> you know, it's like, damn, I fucked up today. I fucked up real bad. Cause That's actually a talent, though, because I think a lot of people, but you already had that thing inside of yourself where you wanted to take responsibility. Mm. Like something switched in you, because I believe a lot of people go to therapy to be told that they're right. Mm-hmm. Or to be validated in what they do and how they feel, as opposed to being challenged in what they do and how they feel. Mm-hmm. So you probably had a unique vantage point from that perspective where you went in almost overcorrecting mm, of mm. being like, fix me, fix me, fix me. Where the therapist was like, are there not like other people involved? <laughs> it's like, like, nah, it's just me. Yeah. Like, what, what do I got to do here? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's very, uh, it's therapeutic. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. I just wish like people would just try it. Well, cause what's going to happen? You either gonna like it or you're going to dislike it. And by the way, I, I find like therapists to me are like churches. You just got to find the right one. Right. Not all of them are the same. Some people just aren't going to vibe with you. Some people would just might not be able to understand what you're going through. You'll find the right one. Right. And like I said, because we're so good at lying to ourselves, you just need somebody to be honest with you. And that's what helped my relationship out. And it still helps me out to this day. I mean, me and me and Mary, we're far from perfect. We're fucking maniacs, <laughs> but we found each other. Right. And, uh, yeah, like I, I, I remember she, she just went left recently where, um, she went for a wedding for one day. Right. And before what she used to do was say, even if I was gone for a day, she'd be like, are you going to miss me? And I'm like, motherfucker, one day, why the fuck would I miss you? Right. Well, she left this time and our relationship has been really good lately. And I was like, oh, shit, I kind of miss this girl. You know what I mean? Yes. And instead of saying it in my head, when she came back, what I do, I said it to her and it made her feel really good. And that shit made me feel terrible for some reason, but it made her feel good. <laughs> you, you know, talk to your therapist about that. Yeah, I should, <laughs> but she felt good. And she was like, it felt really nice for you to say that. Mm. I was like, fuck, I feel terrible, but I'm, I, it makes me feel good that you feel good. <laughs> you know? And we start there. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, maybe I should tell my that. We should talk about that. Follow David. So comedy on YouTube, listen to genius brain, the podcast, binge all of his shows with Tim as well. And he also is a filmmaker um, and an entrepreneur. So lots to learn and love about David So and one place to find it all, that is the show notes. And before I say that is the show, I gotta tell you guys about a realization I've made about postpartum depression since I have come here to Columbia. But before we do that, we have one more sponsor of the show that I'm actually very excited to talk about because it kind of ties into what I want to launch into after this. 
So I want to tell you about Apostrophe, which has nothing to do with postpartum, but Apostrophe is an incredible service that allows you to access a team of dermatologists who can assess your skin needs and goals and then prescribe you medication to meet those goals or prescribe you products to meet those goals, and then they send that to you. So you get this entire boutique dermatology experience without having to leave wherever you are. It's all done through your phone. And I actually utilized apostrophe because during pregnancy, I developed melasma, which is brown patches on your skin. And because pregnancy is loud, melasma is loud too. So I had it as um, a nice little accent above my lip, AKA a slight mustache look. And I also had it between my forehead, like a Harry Potter, except not a cool lightning strike, but three brown streaks and above my eyebrows, which messed up my eyebrow shape. Uh, nonetheless, it wasn't my joyful place, but while you're breastfeeding, it can be difficult to get prescription medication, but through Apostrophe and their team of dermatologists, I was actually able to find a medication that was safe to use while breastfeeding and incredibly effective to the point that my makeup artist, Kevin, who's also here with me in Colombia, was like, girl, your brown spots aren't really browning anymore. And I was like, I know, but I'm really happy that someone else noticed it. So anyhow, if there is something with your skin, whether it be acne or discoloration or texture that hasn't been bringing you a lot of joy, but you haven't really known where to go, what to do, or if it's affordable for you, this is where apostrophe can really come in. Through apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear acne and manage other skin conditions. All you do is download the app, you fill out an online consultation, they ask about your medical history, your skincare goals, you upload a few pictures of your face from various angles, and then a team of board certified dermatologists review all your paperwork and then create a unique treatment plan just for you, and then you decide where you go from there. So we have a special deal just for our listeners. Get your first visit for only $5. So I don't know if you heard me. You can get a visit with a team of board-certified dermatologists who are going to look at you, hear your skincare goals out, and create a unique treatment plan for your skin for $5 at apostrophe.com lovers. When you use our code lovers, that's a savings of $15. The code is only available to our listeners. So I want to say it again. To get started, go to apostrophe.com slash lovers and click begin visit. Then use our code lovers at sign up to get your first visit for only $5. Thank you so much to apostrophe for sponsoring this episode and for the skincare goals. I'm wearing makeup, but I mean, underneath it, we're still hitting. So now on to what I wanted to tell you at the start of the episode. For those of you who have followed my journey, you know that traditionally I'm a pretty happy person. I would say I'm a very happy person and I have every reason to be because I have a very incredible, blessed life with great people around me. And I say that both in complete awe and gratitude and amazement and also with a little bit of zest on my chest, a little bit of puff in there because I know I put the work in and I really worked hard for the life and the love that I share and call my own. But this year has been really challenging because despite all of those really wonderful things, I just haven't felt in my joy. And I thought it was because of pregnancy and then I wasn't pregnant and I still felt a little low. And then I thought it was because I was going through some family issues because I was after I had my baby. Um, and then when those 
didn't necessarily go away, but they found a resolution. I still didn't really quite feel it. And then from then, what I've done, I think is the healthiest thing for me in particular, when you're going through these low periods, is to just keep removing things until you find out what is the thing that's weighing you down. So I ended up unenrolling in school. I'm pursuing my master's right now in psychology, but I decided to put a halt on that for now, even though it's something that I was very proud of myself for. It definitely felt like it was, not only did I have to work full time and look after my kids, I was still on the weekend studying and it just became too overwhelming. So I stopped doing that. Um, I ended up unenrolling in the gym and a couple of other like classes that I was doing to try to get myself out there and get back in shape and get back to me. But it was really making me feel like a disappointment because every class I couldn't go to or I had to cancel, I felt like I was letting myself down. And so when you can't even show up for self-care, you feel like, do I even like myself? And the real truth is I do. Um, so I had to unenroll from those to give myself space to feel good about how I was spending my time versus judging myself for what I wasn't doing and what I said I would do. And then I came on this job, which felt like an incredible opportunity to turn down a lot of work, something that I've been deathly afraid of doing. As someone in entertainment, you are conditioned to take on a scarcity mindset when it comes to jobs. I actually think about this conversation I had with a financial planner years ago who said to me, if you want to do yourself the best favor financially, you will treat every year as if it's your last working year in this field. Meaning, don't look at it like, oh, what I'm making this year is what I'll make next year, because things can change drastically. So if you keep that mindset that like, this is my last good year, you'll probably make better decisions. But that thinking also puts you on a rat wheel, a hamster wheel of constantly trying to get as much and as many as possible and not knowing how long your days are going to be um, fruitful for you. And so when I got this job opportunity, I said to myself, I'm going to start turning down work because I know I'm here and I want to devote myself to this and let me see what comes up. And what has come up through this time of just being here and working on this one job, the podcast, but as you can tell, I'm late with it, so I haven't been as great and as on it as I can. And those of you who follow me on Instagram know that I haven't put out any clips promoting the incredible episodes I've had with the beautiful... Cammie Crawford, who I'm obsessed with, or of the on stages, Kev on stage and Melissa on stage. I just haven't had the time to do anything else other than the job that I'm on and the job that I really truly want to be doing. And that has been my big aha that as a modern woman, which I cringe at saying that, but as somebody who has deeply defined themselves by the work that I do and the legacy that I leave, I find that right now, what I'm really deeply called to do is spend way more time with my family. And I made that realization here. And it made me a little sad because it's an identity shift for me. And it also made me feel a little relief because now I know what I'd like to pursue. And that is less time hustling and working and more time with my kids. I don't know what that looks like or how long this feeling will last for. But after paring everything down and even saying it right now, I feel like that's my truth. But it also has me calling into question, what does my work life look like in the coming years? So tips on figuring that out would be great. But I wanted to share that with you because it actually is good news. I feel very 
light enlightened by that aha. Um, and maybe I just feel that way because the city is so fucking fun. I just want to just do nothing else but hang out and have a blast in it with the people that I love. And with that being said, I'm going to end the podcast so I can do that because they're all waiting on me to go to dinner. And um, But I've had a blast doing this too. Now you get the conflict. There we go. Okay, I'm leaving. Love you. Bye. Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends. I'm going to take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I said, lovers and friends. Uh, I'm going to hold you down, down to the end. I said, Lovers and Friends is executive produced by Shared Entertainment's Shan Boudram. It is produced by Boudram and Crazy Cruz with production support from 2S Entertainment's Adam Krasner, Isabel Gallant, and Brianna Barone. The Lovers and Friends theme song is produced by Sean Ross and performed by Jared Brady, who also does the scoring and engineering on our episodes. Lovers and Friends is powered by Audioboom and made possible by our incredible sponsors who you can show love to by reading our show notes. 